Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Ron Wilhoyt. It is entitled, In the Morning. Ron. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Curtis, for that opening prayer, too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, it's nice to have Donna back from Florida. Nice to have all of you here today. The Sabbath day, the sanctified day of the week, to be in fellowship one to another before the eternal, before his throne. Well, you know what I tell you? You couldn't script this if you tried. If you really thought about it, you said, I'm going to really try to write something very unique to where people won't even believe it's true. So you couldn't script this if you had to. You take a fellow from Liverpool, yeah? And he marries someone raised up in Coffeeville. Then you take another fellow from Utah. He marries someone raised in Coffeeville. Then you take this other guy who was raised in Coffeeville, and he winds up marrying this girl from Bixby. Okay, now, three of them have the same last name because they are a brother and two sisters. This brother and two sisters marry these particular people, and they wind up all going to the same church together. Okay? Not only that, they all end up living in the same town together. They each have two kids. One of them have two boys. One of them have two girls. And one of them have one of each. But see, it just keeps getting better because as of right now, they all drive the same vehicle. <laughs> but there is a little bit of uniqueness in all that. It's not the same color. It's amazing when you just kind of stand back and see what happens in people's lives when you let God have full control. And of course, I'm talking about the Witt family. Of course, I'm talking about the Dennis family. Of course, I'm talking about the Steele family. It's just very unique to me, and we got to see the newest Honda Odyssey yesterday. And then as that Honda Odyssey drove off, I thought, wow, you couldn't make that up if you tried. But it is the reality of this family. Well, yesterday as I was closing shop, as they say, getting ready to leave the job and begin the, prep, you know, the Sabbath, Friday, of course, being the preparation day, my mind has already been starting to look toward the Sabbath earlier in the day, but you close up shop, you kind of put things up, you kind of get things ready because you know before too long you're going to walk in Monday morning and hey, it's just kind of like you left it. My supervisor happened to be in my little, my little corner cube, and I've got a good one. I like my cube. And he was kind of just sitting there watching me as I was kind of putting some things up and kind of doing this, and he kind of says, you know, you kind of got your little routine there, don't you? I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, it's just funny. You, you've kind of got yourself a little routine. I said, well, you know, we've all kind of got routines, don't we? But when I look at each one of you out here, it says we're somewhat of a diverse group. But you know, we have a lot of commonality. And I think a lot of the commonality is part of the routine that might be your life. And there's something called a morning routine. Do any of you out there have a morning routine? Specifically, if you're still working, you're still in school, that Monday through Friday, 
morning routine. We've all kind of got one, and you really probably don't think too much about it, and this might be the first time you've ever come to Sabbath services and someone has made you even think about your morning routine. But Curtis Whiteley's last split sermon, the title of that message did just that. It reminded me of my morning routine. But it's not just my morning routine, it's the morning routine of my prayer partner. Because the title of that message, Wisdom from Above, is part of our morning routine because it's in what I call our morning prayer of departure. A morning prayer of departure. You know, we've been married almost two and a half decades. Almost two and a half decades. And as I look back over those years, it took too long. It took us too long to truly unite in prayer. Now, brethren, we prayed, okay? And at times we prayed very hard. But now it's different because we've consciously decided to make appointments to meet together and pray together. And it's every morning. Every morning, this appointment is made to pray together. And it's made to pray consistently. And it's very specific. And the most frequent time that we meet, like I said, is in this morning prayer of departure. It's where we unite in prayer and it's before anybody leaves the house. It's early enough before anybody leaves the house to go to work. And it's early enough before anybody in the house leaves to go to school. And it's part of the morning routine. And it's the most important part of the morning routine. So see, the boss man was right. I do have a routine. But see, morning routines and the routines of life are somewhat dynamic, aren't they? I think of Matt and Renee Steele. They had a morning routine before the arrival of those two boys. And I think of when those two boys came home and that morning routine changed drastically. <laughs> and anyone that has a morning routine of where there's not a little one in the house, you kind of think things can kind of somewhat get busy. And the morning routine might be a little bit rushed. Add somebody or maybe two into the mix of that. But as we get older, as those children age and then they finally leave the house, there is a morning routine, but it's not quite the same. But you still have it. And this is such a vital part of our morning routine. Now, you know, I used to be one of those that got up really slowly. It seemed like I just went to bed when it was time to get up. And I tell you what, I could use the snooze button until 9 o'clock. 9 a.m., I could do that snooze button in those little increments and just be fine. But then you've got to get up in such a hurried, maddened way to get ready to get out the door. And as you're out the door, see, you're already figuring out and sorting out and charting the course of the day before it's even started. Well, I still get up slowly. But now I realize I have an appointment. I have an appointment before I walk out the door. And it's changed my life and it's changed the life of my wife and it's changed the lives of other people also. Now this specific prayer, what I call the morning send-off, it's kind of a hybrid. 
you have the Word of God, you have the Scripture. It's like Art was talking about last week when he brought out certain elements of the Psalms that are incredible prayers of their own, but they're also those things in the Psalms that will prompt you for the specific aspects of your life that you have to have God's involvement in. But it's a hybrid prayer because in, in a lot of ways, we need to approach prayer by really giving heed to what Peter said. He said, what? There's an adversary. There's an adversary about seeking, searching, and roaming to who he may devour. When you devour something, or if something is devoured, it's not a kiss on the cheek. I can only think of the visual, if you watch National Geographic at certain times when they're really down there deep in the ocean, and there are those eels or those, some sort of creature that just kind of hides, kind of in the rock, and then boom! The little fish goes by, and it's devoured. Fish food. Another way to be if you've been devoured. But he's seeking to devour who he may. And understand this is what we do is we begin by prayerfully putting on and speaking it as we do it. Prayerfully putting on the armor of God. Even the youngest children in here know about the armor of God. From the girding of the loins about with truth to wielding the shield or the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But there's something that was brought to my attention years ago in an article written by a, a woman, a certain Mrs. Trescott. She wrote this some time ago. Now, when we think about the armor of God, of course, we look at Ephesians. But I want to go back to Isaiah 59. And look at this because this is the root and the wellspring of what was extrapolated upon in Ephesians. And it really kind of made me focus this a little bit more intently of standing there before God in the morning knowing that there is the actual desire that I be devoured by an adversary. And each one of you too. An adversary wants to devour each one of us. It puts things in perspective of how we petition and ask for the protection and the things that only the Father can give us. But if we look at Isaiah 59, in this Isaiah reproving of Israel chapter, I'm going to start in verse 15 for a little bit of context. And it's, as you know, Isaiah is the most incredible book, a most incredible book. All that is in Isaiah. But Isaiah 59 verse 15 says, Yea, truth fails, and he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. Now look at verse 17, what we find in Ephesians. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. But notice where Isaiah goes next. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing 
and was clad with zeal as a cloak. So see, brethren, before any armor is put on, we want to put on the undergarment of his vengeance. His vengeance underneath and beneath the armor. And then we take the cloak. It's the overgarment of his zeal. The undergarment of his vengeance, the armor of God, the cloak, the overgarment of his zeal. And it's when we're in this, this attire, in this prayer, when we're in this state of readiness, okay, it's then we petition to be empowered by the the title of Curtis Whiteley's last message. We then petition in this armor, in this undergarment of his vengeance, the armor of God and the cloak of his zeal, is when we petition to be empowered with the wisdom that is from above, outward to inward, empowered with the wisdom that is from above. And of course, that's the word of James. We pray that our wisdom is not earthly. We pray that our wisdom is not sensual. And brethren, we definitely pray that our wisdom is not demonic. But that our wisdom be first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and sown in peace. Now see, this sets the heart, stays the mind, set and stayed, for then what I call specific of the moment prayers, because every day brings the necessity for specific of the moment prayers. And in his armor, filled with his wisdom, filled with his mind, we're able to approach the throne of grace and prayerfully not grieve God by what we ask him. It was a point that Barnabas brought up last week, and it was brilliant. It's not to grieve God by what we ask or how we ask it. And then at times we will close it with, I, with what I call a threefold cord. You know, the threefold cord is not easily broken. A threefold cord from the Psalms, it's kind of called the closer of the prayer, that we be hidden in the secret place of his presence from the plots of men, Psalm 31, that the Most High build the house in every aspect of our lives, Psalm 127, and in the words of Moses from Psalm 90, that the Eternal would establish the work of our hands upon us, that the work of our hands will actually be a blessing to everyone involved. You're probably saying, how long do you pray? 45 minutes? Usually not more than 10. Sometimes five. But it's the appointment of meeting before we head out the door to be, just as the boss man said, to have that routine and the wonderful blessing that it is. So it's standing with God in this condition. I mean, think about it. Standing before God in this condition, in this state of existence. I made the note that standing with God like this, we're free. We're absolutely free. We're free and we're liberated. 
to be something very unique, very unique. And after having some major petitions answered and really seeing the movement of God's hands in some areas of our lives, we began to migrate toward the position of requesting something else. And it's in your red hymnal. And Ron, what's the title of the hymn of page 236? This is what we request and petition now. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Does that sound radical? To pray that God makes you a blessing? I think the hymn was written in the 50s. It's not a new concept, but it sure has been to me lately. Enable us to be a blessing to others. So how do you know? How would you know? How would you know if you had the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else? Some are quite obvious. Some are quite obvious. Some are so obvious of where you could be a blessing to someone else you know, but most of them are not. But the opportunities to be a blessing surround you all the time. All the time. But it's easy not to see them. And it's easy to conveniently ignore them. Especially if you are that little term I've mentioned on the last day of Unleavened Bread, if you're fearfully busy. And fearfully busy in this case, it's like, you know, I'm so busy that I'm afraid I can be of no assistance to you much less a blessing. Have you ever come in contact with someone who is struggling so much that you notice it, you might acknowledge it, and it can go on for quite a while, but yet the bubble of self, when you're in the self bubble, you can't really actually understand what's going on? Yeah, I see it, I notice it, but. I really can't see beyond what I have to get done. Good luck. Good luck with that. Oh, it's been months. Had a situation at work. I knew about a guy who was coming upon having to have some work done, some major work done on a project. And he was incapable of doing it. Lack of training doesn't matter. You could go down the list of why. Well, it's because of management. It's because of lack of training. It's his problem, this problem. I'm trying to do my own problem. We all got so many problems. Yeah, maybe he doesn't even need to work here. All this kind of nonsense. That means really struggling. And when someone confesses to you that, man, I'm struggling here, and then you walk off. But you know, one day I walked off from hearing him say it, and I stopped because it occurred to me. Could this be what I've been praying for? Right here? I mean, how long had I prayed to be a blessing to someone else, but you know what, it never showed up? Right. Could this be one? So I turned around. I said, all right, let's do this. And it was a blessing to me. It was an absolute blessing to me. And you know, the time required to help and assist, I guarantee you, was a fraction if I would have just gone on and regretted it later. 
Because see, brethren, sometimes you have to roll your sleeves up and it might have to be you. And I'm glad for many reasons that God answered that prayer in that instance because he no longer is there. You know, two years ago, I said this. Now, two years later, I'm going to say it again. I thank God that I live in a community that has a baccalaureate service for its high school graduating class at a local church. And every student has waiting upon them when they get their personalized Bible. I thank God for that because I think it's rare. And as I went to yet another baccalaureate service for yet another graduate, hundreds of people in support of these graduates. And of course, the graduates will come up, say some certain things, talk about how now it's just all beginning, you know, life's ahead of you, and, and kind of some basic things. I'll tell you, one young lady walked up and spoke words to me that, you know, in 50 plus years now, I've never really been impacted by somebody's words like I was by this young lady that day. And, and talking it over with my daughter of how, what I took from it, I've got a little summation of what she said. And it really fits in with what I'm talking about today is this movement from continually crying out to God, like when I think of Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea, what he said is, quit crying out to me, tell the people to go forward. To, to shift from that continual crying out to where we go forward in his name. And migrating from this constant petitioning of help, 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 needing this, but actually to moving on to having it within us to where we then can be enabled to help other people in this capacity. And this is what she spoke to me that day when she said that the path to follow the Messiah is a chosen path to follow the Savior. A chosen path. To become a disciple that puts you in the business, okay, of feeding people. To be a disciple of Jesus puts you in the business of feeding people. Feeding people with your words, feeding people with your actions, and feeding people with your very life. And if this is not authored by and supplied by the eternal, all we have to offer is clay to eat. If it's not God's Holy Spirit, if he is not doing the feeding within us, all me or you or anybody else has to offer anybody is clay to eat. Have you ever tasted clay? I did once as a child. And it was just one time. Extremely profound. But see, the motivation is not self-serving. The desire to position oneself to be a blessing is to accomplish something, okay? Not self-serving, but it's to accomplish something. And it's incredible because it's to share. It's to share the favor 
that we have been given from our Heavenly Father. Now let's go to James. In James 3. James 3 and verse 13. In this little bit of scripture, James begins by saying, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. What our pastor will be talking about in the sermon, the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. This is that part of that prayer. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And in verse 18... He says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. I love this. By those who make peace. Okay? By those who make peace. Now, Jesus' words is taught in this aspect, as with everything else he says, 24-7, 365, and I don't know how many languages in every scripture that is around this globe. But what does he say about the peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Are we making peace? Or is it just really none of our business? It's kind of a gray area, I don't know. I might not want to get involved with that. Are we making peace? I think we live as peaceably as we can with every man, as we're instructed to. But it's an attitude. Life and living can get complicated. It gets busy, and at times it gets out of control, doesn't it? Just like that. What? What happened? Go into reaction mode very quickly and entirely unexpected, and it's really difficult when things are kind of on you. When it's really on you, hard to breathe stuff. It's very difficult to realize that this, this stuff, this tabernacle, all of this is temporary. The temporary can consume us really quickly when things seem to sort of be unraveling. And we're not stayed on God when we don't make those appointments to fill our hearts and minds with what he has to say. It's temporary, brethren, and it's rapidly advancing. And see, Moses knew that. Moses knew that and he requested it from the Most High in Psalm 90 when he said, teach us to number our days. Because, man, I tell you what, I used to think I was going to live for a very long time and live forever. And I had it all ahead of me. The tabernacle is rapidly advancing. 
So think about what Moses would say after all that he went through, after all he had done, after all he had witnessed and all he had seen to stand there and write that psalm and say, Lord, Eternal Father, teach us to number our days. And that we have the incredible gift of having his words that we can look at every day to help us to number our days. But what does he say after that? That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Applying our hearts unto wisdom. Look at Psalm, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Being taught to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I, I tell you, this bit of scripture was an anchor to my soul for a long time and it still is. What Isaiah is speaking of concerning God Almighty here in this, we've really got to meditate and pray about this right here. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace. It's beautiful, isn't that? Think of that. Perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. He will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on Him. That's hard. If it's hard for you to stay your mind on God, that might be one of the top three things you pray about. Father, stay my mind on you and... Help me to trust in you because you have promised that you will give me perfect peace if I do so. I love that. We stay our minds on him and we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Stayed in seeking. And it's also waking up each day aware that what Psalm 118 verse 24 says, it's this day awareness because it says in Psalm 18, verse 24, it says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. And we hear that used a lot. Hey, brethren, today's the day the Lord hath made. And you go about your business, but that's not where the psalm, that verse ends, is it? This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will. We will rejoice and be glad in it. If it's difficult to rejoice in the day that God has made, that might be one of those things you take before Him in prayer. Father, I can only rejoice and be glad in the day that You've made if You enable me by the power of Your Holy Spirit so that I'm not out just trying to cram clay in people's mouths. With the prayerful mindset that the Most High establishes our day upon us by what He has set before us. And men, women, what the Father has established and set before us is so far beyond just providing for ourselves and our families. I read from this book before and I'm going to close with a little bit of it. Mark DeMoss, I've never met him. I've heard a couple of interviews from him. The Little Red Book of Wisdom. I would encourage each one of you to have one of these. I try not to be selfish. I'm not going to loan this one. I need to just go get a few. It's an incredible book. He was the author that prompted me to start reading a, a proverb a day because God so perfectly packaged those to be read one a day and you can get through the whole thing in a month and in the time of a year you've read them all 12 times. 
But he has a really interesting chapter in this book. And the title of the chapter is Anticipate Deathbed Regrets. Anticipate Deathbed Regrets. Because I tell you, we're all going to have them. We're all going to have them. And concerning what we've been talking about today, he writes, Ultimately, we are what we do every day. What defines us is not one large intention to be a good person or parent. It's a hundred thousand ongoing choices of every size that arise when we are tired, satisfied, distracted, full of ourselves, threatened, happy, reactionary, sentimental, hurried, or bored. It's not just one big act. I've done it. I'm a great person. Don't you remember when I did that really cool, great thing? No. I just remember what you're doing now. It's not that cool. I love that. 100,000 ongoing choices of every side. It says what we're talking about, every person's option, sooner or later, to live deliberately. Every week, it seems, I hear another personal story of a marriage too early or to the wrong person, personal bankruptcy, a destructive affair, blinding stress, tobacco-related lung cancer or emphysema, a child lost to alcohol or drug abuse, obesity, complications, and the list goes on, as many variations as there are people with prime years to waste. He closes this bit by saying, the ticking clock intimidates us, even frightens us, but while time is unforgiving, and it is, time is unforgiving, God is not. What lies behind us is gone, and consequences are inevitable, but God is in the business of redemption, and we can still give him the years that we have. It's brilliant. Well, the title was In the Morning, so I have to close with a psalm. And it is, of course, Psalm 148. I'm sorry, Psalm 143 in verse 8. Because we've been talking about this morning appointment, being called out that I'm a man of routine, Yep, glad to be so. It took a long time, and it still takes some effort certain mornings to make that appointment. But I love what the psalmist says here in Psalm 143 in verse 8. It says, cause me to hear your loving kindness when? In the morning. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. And here's what he follows it up with exactly what Isaiah said in Isaiah 26. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto you. Trust and lift up your soul to him. And if you have trouble, which I did, in trying to position myself to be more prayerful, this is where I began right here. I began with Psalm 143. Because this is what I needed, brethren. It's what I needed. I needed to hear him. I needed to hear him early. I needed to hear him, and I need to hear him early. And that little bit right there in the middle caused me to know the way wherein I should walk. And he will.